I invite you to open a pew Bible to page 61. We will read in unison Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. This morning, we begin the series through the Ten Commandments. And I want to encourage every one of you to jump on board this morning and to commit yourself to active, faithful participation in this sermon series as we dig in to the Ten Commandments as a way of growing in our understanding of God's Word and God's will for our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you, this is going to be an extended series. Remember that series through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans? <laughs> Get ready. Now, we may not have uh, 60 sermons on the Ten Commandments, but in all seriousness, it wouldn't be hard to do. We are going to have more than one per commandment, and you'll see the reason why as we work our way through it. And each Sunday, we're going to have at some point in the service a unison reading of Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17, and this is what I hope will um, occur because of that. I hope that the, the, the weightiness, the gravitas of God's law will rest upon our souls more and more. And I hope that by the unison reading, it will enable your memorization of the Ten Commandments and particularly children uh, will, will memorize the Ten Commandments by way of recitation. And uh, as my parents used to say, osmosis. And that's the way children learn best. And parents, let me encourage you as we do this. Reinforce this at home. Um, now, each Sunday, the Lord willing, we're going to have, you're going to have resources from one of our catechisms. This is, we're not trying to waste paper here. This is for your further study. This is to help you dig in, learn, grow through the catechetical resources that will be uh, distributed, and you've got a nice insert sheet for taking notes along the way because we intend this sermon series to be extremely relevant and practical for the living of the Christian life. Relevant and practical for daily Christian discipleship because this series is going to be centered upon the gospel of Jesus Christ we're going to understand the commandments in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer, my hope, and my intention that this will uh, be a significant endeavor to help us all grow in, a, in our understanding, again, of God's character, God's Word, and God's will for our lives. So, let us ask the Lord's blessing upon His Word. Let us pray. Blessed, O Lord, are all those who meditate upon Your law. And therefore we ask in Jesus' name for the Holy Spirit to open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from Your law. And we pray, O oh Lord, that Your Word would shape our character so that we might walk in Your ways 
and keep your commandments with joy and thanksgiving. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the glory of your name. Amen. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. Please read. In unison, the Word of God written. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Amen. Here's a question that I want you to be able to answer correctly because the correct answer really matters. How do the Ten Commandments begin? That's not a trick question. How do the Ten Commandments begin? The Ten Commandments do not begin with the first commandment. The Ten Commandments begin with the declaration of God's sovereign, saving, grace, love, and power. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The Ten Commandments begin with that declaration of God's sovereign, saving, grace, love, and power. That's the first point to write down on your handy-dandy insert sheet for sermon notes. Write it down. The Ten Commandments do not begin by telling us what to do. The Ten Commandments begin by telling us what God has done for us. 
And that starting point matters. We're going to develop that theme further in this sermon this morning, but right now, more stuff to write down. I'm going to give you some other foundational points for the entire series, which apply to each of the Ten Commandments. They're absolutely necessary for a correct understanding and application of the Ten Commandments. So I encourage you, write it down, keep the notes, refer, refer to them often. If I live long enough and we all get through this series, at the end of it, you're going to have a nice little notebook of notes on the Ten Commandments and resources to go through it. That's the idea. I mean, what are you here for? I hope you're not here to check the box. Number one, the Ten Commandments, also known as the moral law of God, apply to everyone everywhere. The Ten Commandments are still in effect for everyone, everywhere. Now, you know that there are certain laws in the Old Testament, for example, purity, ceremonial, dietary laws, which you read about in the book of Leviticus. They are no longer in effect, no longer in force for Christians now that Christ has come. He is our holiness, our purity. There are also civil, judicial Laws of Old Testament Israel, which you read about in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And those civil, judicial laws of Old Testament Israel are no longer in force in terms of their specific legislation because the nation of Old Testament Israel no longer exists. Now, there are certain general principles of righteousness and, and equity and wisdom that we can derive from those civil judicial laws of ancient Israel. But the point here is that only the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God, continue to be in effect everywhere for everyone until Christ comes again. All ten are in effect. Number two. The Ten Commandments express the moral character of God Himself. The Ten Commandments express the moral character of God Himself. The Ten Commandments are not simply a list of arbitrary rules which God made up to see whether or not we would keep them. No. The Ten Commandments tell us about God's character. In other words, the Ten Commandments tell us God's values, what God values, and what God values about human life on earth. And along those lines, let me make this point. We're still in number two, sub-point. The Ten Commandments tell us about God's love. The Ten Commandments reveal to us God's love. God's law is an expression of God's love for humanity. You got to get this. God's law in the Ten Commandments is an expression of God's love for humanity so that we as individuals and as human societies could prosper, thrive, flourish, in liberty and peace. 
God is good, and His law is good. So when you hear the term moral law, don't think first of all in negative terms about sin and guilt and condemnation. Think first of all about God's goodness and love with which He seeks to bless humanity with a life of liberty and prosperity guided and guarded by His good law. Now, it's true that because we have a fallen nature, the law reveals to us our sin and shows us our need of a Savior. That's true, but that's true because we're sinners. It's we who are fallen. The problem is not with God's law. The problem is with us. God's law is holy, good, and just. And God gave His law to bless His people and the nations of the earth. And since the commandments are an expression of God's good and loving and holy character, this is kind of sub-point number two, under two. Since the commandments reveal God's character, then if we want to be like God, if we want to be conformed to His good and holy and loving character, then our character, who we are, must be conformed to His moral law. To be godly is to be conformed, to be in conformity with God's law. Now, ha, maybe some of you are thinking or wondering. Now, that doesn't sound very much like the gospel because as Christians, we're to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. To which I reply, yes, that's exactly right. Christian maturity is a matter of becoming more and more nearly conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Yes! And that is exactly what I mean when I say that as Christians, our character, who we are, is to be in conformity with the moral law of God. It's saying the same thing. Now, you just think about it. Jesus was the perfect expression of perfect conformity to the moral law of God. That's exactly the point. Jesus loved the Lord his God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength. Jesus loved his neighbor as himself. That is the sum of the moral law of God to which we are called as followers of Jesus. He is the standard. And to be more nearly conformed to the likeness of Jesus is therefore to be more nearly conformed to the law of God. The Shorter Catechism, number 14, asks, What is sin? That's a good question. We really ought to know the answer to it. Here's a good answer. Sin is any lack of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. Sin is any lack of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. Well, Jesus lived a perfectly obedient, sinless life. There was no lack of conformity to the law of God in His life. He is the, the embodiment of conformity. 
to the law of God to which we are to be conformed. Now that, by the way, is the reason that Jesus could be and was the perfect substitutionary atoning sacrifice for sinners such as you and I who are not perfectly conformed to the law of God. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So now we're going to point number three, foundational point number three. It applies to each of the commandments. Conformity to the law of God is not only a matter of external obedience, but also of internal spiritual disposition. So in your notes, you just write, not only external, also internal. That's your number three. Obedience to the law of God is not only a matter of external behavior, but also of internal spiritual disposition. Jesus made this clear in His Sermon on the Mount when He spoke about murder and adultery in terms of anger and lust. And before Jesus, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah spoke about the coming of the new covenant, saying, I will put my law within them and I will write it upon their hearts. Jeremiah 31 33. This is one of the true characteristics of the true Christian, to have the law of God written upon our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Today is the day of Pentecost. So let us note that one of the big ideas about Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit gives believers in Christ new life with the law of God written upon our hearts. So for the true Christian, the law of God is not merely external, written on tablets of stone, but rather internal, written on our hearts, shaping our character, conforming us to the likeness of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at each one of the commandments, not only in terms of external obedience but also in terms of our internal spiritual disposition or inclination. Number four, as an internal and spiritual law, shaping our character from the inside out, the commandments are to be applied both positively and negatively. So number four, both positive and negative. This is what it means. Each of the commandments has a positive and a negative application. That means if something is positively commanded, honor your father and your mother, then the opposite, disrespecting your parents or others in rightful authority, is forbidden. If something is prohibited, you shall not murder then the opposite is positively commanded. You shall protect and promote the life and well-being of your neighbor. We're going to go through each one of the commandments in this way, positively and negatively. Now, number five, the most important foundational principle. It applies to each one of the commandments and to the commandments as a whole. This is it. The Ten Commandments are not 
the way to be saved. The Ten Commandments are the way of life for those who have been saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The Ten Commandments are not the way to be saved. They are the way of life for those who have been saved by the grace of God, saved by Jesus Christ and by Christ alone. Now that gets us back to where we started at the very beginning of this sermon, the very beginning of the Ten Commandments. Do you see how right now we've come full circle? Here it is. How do the Ten Commandments begin? The Ten Commandments do not begin by telling us what to do. The Ten Commandments begin by telling us what God has done for us. The Ten Commandments begin with the declaration of God's sovereign, saving grace, love, and power. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That declaration tells us who God is and what He has done by His grace love, and power. And that's where we start. This declaration reveals to us that God is God. He is the sovereign Lord. He is the sovereign Savior. He is the Redeemer. He is the Rescuer of His people. And He therefore has the authority and the right to decree His law and to command our obedience. And we are therefore having been saved by His grace and love and power, having been rescued and redeemed, we are therefore to honor Him as our God and Savior by happily and gratefully obeying His commands. There's something else that we must note here in this declaration. God's work of saving grace precedes His call to obedience. The exodus, salvation, happened before the giving of the law. Now, this is obvious, and you know this, but let me illustrate. You know, God didn't go to Moses, and He says, Moses, this is not what happened. This is not what happened. When Mo God says to Moses, okay, look, Moses, I'm going to give you these Ten Commandments. You go down to Egypt, where my people are in slavery. You tell them, obey all these commandments perfectly for let's say a year, and if they do it all, then I'll come and I'll bring them out of slavery. That's not how it worked. You, you see the point? The declaration of God's sovereign saving grace before the call to obedience is an expression of the gospel itself. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ right here in the Ten Commandments. Consider this very well-known New Testament verse from 1 John chapter 4, 19. We love God because He first loved us. God first loved us by sending His only begotten, beloved, sinless Son into the world to bear the punishment for our sins. That's how God loved us first. Our love for God and therefore our obedience to God is simply a response 
to His love first given to us in Jesus Christ. And this principle, this gospel is foreshadowed in the Exodus. Who, what, where were the Israelites before the Exodus? They were slaves in Egypt. No political freedom, no economic freedom, no spiritual freedom. Suffering, oppressive tyranny, helpless. What could they do to liberate themselves from Egypt? What power did they have? What resources did they have? What potential or possibility for freedom did they have? None. What could they do to save themselves? Nothing. The only way that they could be saved from slavery was by the sovereign, saving, grace, love, and power of God. And so it was that God heard their groaning and through a series of miraculous events culminating in the parting of the Red Sea, God answered their cries for rescue and delivered them from Egypt. But here's the deal. God delivered the Israelites not simply so that they would be free to go and do as they please. God rescued them. God brought them out of the land of Egypt in order to bring them into a special covenant relationship with Himself as His holy people. It was God's plan and purpose to dwell with them and be their God. It was God's plan and purpose to make Himself known to them and to show His goodness to them and to bless them. Indeed, to bless the whole world through them. It was God's plan and purpose to give His old covenant people a new life in liberty, in fellowship with Him, and all of that... All of that was the gift of God's sovereign, saving grace, love, and power. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The Ten Commandments do not begin by telling us what to do. The Ten Commandments begin by telling us what God has done for us. Here's the connecting point for us. The exodus from Egypt, the definitive historical event of Old Testament Israel. That was a foreshadowing of the true exodus, God's ultimate act of salvation, the true deliverance from slavery through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want you to think about it this way. Now, look, now you, you're going to have to do this. I want you to make two columns, each one with three points. One, two, three, one. I'm, now you need to be on the back side. I know, okay. One, two, three, one, two, three. And over here on the left, number one, I want you to write the word Passover. Sacrificial lamb. Number two, Exodus through the Red Sea. Number three, Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. One, two, three.
Now, in the opposite column, one, two, three, I want you to write these words. Number one, crucifixion. Number two, resurrection slash ascension into heaven. Number three, Pentecost. Giving of the Holy Spirit to write the law of God upon our hearts. If you did that, you got three columns and you can see how the old covenant is fulfilled in the new covenant. You get it? Crucif Passover, crucifixion. Exodus, resurrection, ascension into heaven. Mount Sinai, giving of the law, Ten Commandments. Pentecost, writing of the law upon our hearts. Jesus is the true Passover lamb sacrificed for us so that the curse of death might pass over us and not ultimately destroy us. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. His resurrection from the grave and His ascension into heaven is the true exodus. Jesus is our exodus, and when we by Faith are in union with Jesus Christ in His death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. His exodus is our exodus. We are assured of our exodus from the slavery to sin, the dominion of the devil, and the bondage of death. And the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is the new covenant fulfillment of the giving of law at Mount Sinai because it, it is through the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives that the law of God is written upon our hearts. Now, when we read in the book of Exodus about the Passover, the plagues, the exodus from Egypt, the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, we marvel at the wonders God performed for His old covenant people. But brothers and sisters, my goodness, how we ought to marvel all the more at what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. A far greater, far more wonderful miracle has taken place through God's sovereign saving grace and love and power in Jesus Christ. Who are we? Who are you, you and I? Apart from this saving, sovereign grace of God. What would you say? Well, apart, you know, uh, we're, 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 we're good people. We're, you know, we're, good, we're pretty good people. People, we're, well, I mean, you know, we're, 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 we're doing our best and we're trying hard. We're, you know, I think we're probably capable of earning our salvation, working our way to heaven, deserving of God's blessings. You know, I, I, do, I do this. I expect God to bless me. You know, I, I try to do the best I can. That is not what the Bible says. That's not it. The Bible says that we, you and I, without the grace and mercy of God, are just like Israelites in Egypt. We're enslaved to sin. We're under the dominion of the devil, the real Pharaoh. And we're helpless to do anything to save ourselves, unable to deliver ourselves from the misery of our sinful condition. Does that sound too dismal? Well, Jesus said, quote, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What Jesus meant is that without His liberating power in our lives, we by nature are slaves to sin. We are in bondage. We are enslaved to our sinful nature. The Apostle Paul likewise used the imagery of being slaves to sin. These are, these are echoes and reverberations of the Israelites' experience in Egypt. And Paul is applying it to our fallen nature. 
And, and that's the biblical description and the biblical diagnosis of the whole human race, including you and me, in our fallen condition, apart from the saving grace and liberating power of God through Jesus Christ, helplessly enslaved to the bondage of sin. But God has provided the true Passover lamb for us. Jesus Christ was slain to set us free. God has provided a way of escape, an exodus. Through Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven and is seated at God's right hand as our King Redeemer. God has provided His Holy Spirit to give us new life in liberty with the assurance of His presence with us now and the promise of our eternal homeland in His everlasting kingdom. And therefore, as those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and delivered from the slavery to sin by the power of Christ, with the law written upon our hearts, we are called to obey the commandments, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments, not in order to be saved, but because we have been saved by God's grace, love, and power through Christ. Obedience to God's law is not a way of earning God's love, but the way of responding to God's love. Obedience to the law of God is not legalism. Rather, obedience to the law of God is a matter of gratitude for the grace that God has showered upon us. The Apostle Paul makes this very point in his letter to the Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And by the way, in the New Testament, good works means obedience to the law, internal as well as external, positively as well as negatively. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, my brothers and sisters, as we begin this sermon series, and again, I, I, want, you to, I want you to be all in on this, and I want you to be willing to dig in with me and hang in. And if you have to miss a Sunday because you're in the hospital or in China or something, you know, you can download it from the website, get the podcast, get signed up for the podcast, or um, if you're not very technological like me, you can get, a, get an old-fashioned CD to play in your car. Lots of us spend a lot of time in a car, and, and I, I really want to encourage you to commit to this and to dig into it. And let us behold wondrous things from God's law. As disciples of Jesus Christ, the Lamb, by whom, <laughs> yes, you and I have been brought out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. 
And to his name be all honor and glory. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your law, which is holy, just, and good, and is in accordance with the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, O Lord, that you would grant us that grace to meditate on your law day and night so that it shapes our character more nearly into conformity with Jesus, that we might live upon the earth as your new covenant people for the glory of your name. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith from the Heidelberg Catechism, number one. Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of His own precious blood, He has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the dominion of the devil. He also watches over me so well that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Indeed, all things must work together to fit His purpose for my salvation. Therefore, because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly ready and willing from now on to live for Him. Amen.